Hello, and welcome back to another edition of The Playlist Podcast, the podcast where we discuss film news, uh, items, reviews, lists, whatever we feel is worth discussing at the time. Uh, I'm Ryan Oliver, and today I'm joined by our editor-in-chief, Rodrigo Perez, and our managing editor, Charles Barfield. How are you guys doing today? Great. Good. Good, good. Glad to have you guys here. Before we get this show started proper, this episode is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which you can find at theplaylist.net. You can find this show, as well as Adjusted Tracking, uh, Be Real, and all of our other shows. Uh, Subscribe to us via SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, whatever your podcatcher of choice is, and you'll get this and all the shows. So with that out of the way, uh, we are continuing our year-end coverage, uh, which you can visit us over at theplaylist.net to check out our 25 best films of 2018 best film scores best horror movies action movies performances we've been just just getting all this year-end coverage out and we're going to continue that today in podcast form uh today we're going to be discussing the 20 uh, best breakout directors of 2018 uh i'll also note at the top that we're going to really only be discussing the top 10 in depth And then the other 10 uh, are no less important by any means, but we are going to be doing those in sort of an honorable mention form. Um, So, yeah, we got a lot to get through. So we'll just kind of get started uh, with our breakout directors. And the first one we have on our list, I I think, was was pretty much a given, uh, given that the movie itself, I think, was number three on our site's overall top 25 of the year and our number two horror movie of the or no number one horror movie of the year excuse me uh and that is of course hereditary directed by ari aster a a first-time filmmaker um the movie garnered a lot of acclaim as mentioned that where it placed on our lists uh it became a24's highest grossing movie of all time at least uh internationally uh so that's that's pretty great and uh, the movie made a huge splash so um I'm going to kick it off to you guys, actually, because I uh, I've spoken a lot about this movie in both podcast form. And I think I wrote the capsule at least for the or at least started it for the the horror film one and wrote about it for our best of the year so far list back in June. So I'm I'm going to pass it off to you guys about Hereditary and, and Ari Aster's work on this film. My favorite thing about Hereditary is talking to people about hereditary um personally people just you know have a love-hate relationship most of them love it though that i've spoken with and when i tell them that this is a first-time director most people are just absolutely floored by that um the precision of the directing the choices made just everything works and he he creates this film that on paper seems like something that may just be a typical horror movie, um, especially towards the latter half of the movie, but he takes his time and really uh, focuses in on the characters so that by the time everything goes crazy in that last act, you're just fully invested and on board. And I just, I personally, that's probably my number two or three movie of the year. It is incredible. Um, So yeah, I just, I'm shocked to this day that it's his first uh, feature length film. Yeah, it's pretty, um, it's really fucking accomplished, man. It's like, uh, it's funny, like, I, seeing that movie, uh, I was at a Q&A, he was there, I practically jumped him afterwards, being like, holy shit, dude. And one of the AT4 people just introduced me to him, and I was just like, bah! Like, I was still, like, on a very big, like, high from it. I was like, like it, it's, and you kind of nail it, it's kind of like an Ingmar Bergman, like, frosty like it's a movie kind of sort of a first about people who just can't communicate emotionally or you know um 
traditionally like in, in just you know talking to one another um but it's like this sort of like frosty chilly like ingmar bergman horror about the horror of families and then of course he takes that metaphor to its next logical conclusion and the idea of like that's sort of kind of so awesome it's like you can't it's like it, it's like it's almost like the mother like you know tony collette it, it's like she's it's the, the idea which is so interesting about it to me is like it's kind of like you know they're a family of 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 like alcoholics but 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 their illness is not alcoholism it's it's their sort of like it's the two levels of it this this toxicness of 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 emotional damage that they all have but then it actually is something in this in this thing of witchcraft right like it's it's interesting how that he really like sort of just looks at it as a family thing and then just like like what if i what if you push that metaphor in, into like you know the horror and supernatural and and um it re- to me, it really, really works. It's I, I know I've read some critics who kind of want like the second half goes off the off the rails and doesn't work, and I and I think that not at all. Like I think it, you know you need that second half for some sort of a catharsis. That's it's where this is all going. Um, it's just pretty fucking brilliant, and I it's I don't even know if you consider it a jump scare because it's not shot like a jump scare, but it there's the uh, do you guys consider that there's a jump scare in it? Oh, which one? I think we're on the same page, but uh, I would well, not consider that a jump scare if it's the same right, one we're talking it's, about. It, it, it's the one the this the person. I mean, it's not really much of a spoiler. I don't think the person just jumps <laughs> down out of the corner where you can't see oh, them. Okay, that's right. not. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not I would not consider jump that. Scare, no. right? Like it's just a one shot, and you don't know see someone, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's a person that's shot, and they jump out of nowhere, and they've been standing there the whole time, and I fucking screamed like. Like like someone was trying to kill me in the middle of the theater. Like I I was like ah, <laughs> dude, that was I'm such like, an amazing like. I saw it twice in the theater, and both times the collective realization in the audience because it was like one person, and then it was like a slow, just like <gasps> yes. like everybody yeah, just yeah, slowly yeah. realizing what they were seeing, and it, it's just yeah. so masterfully done. As, yeah. as great as that is, though, my scene from this movie is uh, without a doubt, and what, what also shows his confidence, which is unreal, um, the director's confidence, I mean, is the mm-hmm. scene with the little girl um, when she, uh, spoiler alert, when she loses her head. Um, the mm-hmm. scene from that moment till oh, the, car. The, car. The, the car scene when he's driving home, uh, when he goes home, when he lays in bed, the silence of that he just the the director doesn't cut away to the the reveal he doesn't go to the car to show you what's going on he doesn't even go to the bedroom to show you the guy go to sleep he just stays in that hallway and then you see tony collette go down and and you just hear off screen the screams and it's it's one of those things where any other director almost every other director especially a horror director would have Mm. taken that as a chance to do a, a jump scare or a really flashy scream moment but he doesn't he just he lets you sit with it and it's there's so an amazing, disturbing there's an amazing restraint and amazing um just so that maturity and before that like when it when it happens and he's just sitting there in the car and he's too terrified to, to see what he's done and he's like sort of looking in the in the in the mirror of the it's a rear view, rear view mirror, and he's, he's he basically knows what happened, but he hasn't confirmed it because he hasn't seen it with his own eyes. And there's just that shot of him, and he's just like in terror of what he's done. And that, and the camera holds there in that car before he goes home. That to me is is also a huge, amazing component of that scene. 
Yeah, it feels like maybe it's 20 minutes long. I know it's not, but it, it just feels like 20 minutes of silence that you, everybody in the audience is just like, because like you were saying before that, the movie's very much about family drama, uh, mental illness. Um, there are hints that there's something more going on, but but nothing's confirmed. Do you think the the hereditary thing is the mental illness in the family? And then from that moment, yeah. it sort of just kicks off this whole half of the movie where you realize, oh no, he's got something else going on here. And yeah, it's incredible. So great. And and uh, the last thing I want to mention at least is, uh, and I think I mentioned this about a movie um, called called Don't Leave Home, I think in our top horror movies of the year, um, that a lot of like contemporary horror movies that are lauded, um, I mean, not everyone, I don't want to like shortchange, but but there's a lot of inspiration from like Stephen King and, and John Carpenter, uh, you know, kind of that Stranger Things effect. And when I, the second time I went and saw this movie, I saw it in Alamo Draft House, and they had like a pre-show, and and where they were, uh, Ari Aster was being interviewed, and he talked about some of the movies that inspired this one, and he took cues from stuff like Don't Look Now and The Changeling, which Rod and I discussed at length on a podcast recently. So like he he's taking from these like classier, classy horror movies with like really human drama at the center of them, The Exorcist, like the these these lauded horror films that are just a little bit more than just trying to scare you. They scare you because the deeply human drama is so real and affecting. And he puts that forward first and then it intertwines it with this tale of, of uh, witchcraft that's terrifying. And, and also shout out to a 24 for picking this movie up that they, they seem to have an eye for uh first time horror filmmakers as they did uh, Robert Eggers, the witch as well, which I think is a pretty, Pretty damn great movies. So that was uh... that's really paid off, man. Eighty million worldwide and forty-four million domestically. And this was uh, you mentioned it before. This is what's interesting about uh, Hereditary is I believe this is the first movie that A twenty-four distributed a hundred percent on their own worldwide. Um, normally they sell the rights internationally. So this is uh, the fact that it did so well and A twenty-four took a hundred percent of the responsibility for it is is pretty great too. Yeah, it's also it's 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 um, great validation. You know what I mean? You want, I mean, A two four certainly because they take risks, um, but they have stumbled and it's had some expensive stumbles. You know, and those suck. Like it's like these sucks for anybody. You don't want those companies to fucking go under because of some risk they took trying to put out something cool. But this one really paid off, and it's really heartening to see. Absolutely, and and definitely, you know, may have paid off any any stumbles that may have happened this year or in the coming year. So, and they're, they're doing th- his next film, and they're doing his next film from from uh, from scratch too. Like they're just totally on board. Like they just basically gave him carte blanche and everything, and he's doing like another horror horror film that I think is set in Sweden or something. Yeah, Midsummer, I think is what it's called. Um, yeah, yeah, man. Next yeah, year we I mean, have a new Ari Aster movie, a new Robert Eggers movie, and a new Jordan Peele movie. Like how how exciting is that? <laughs> Um, no, it's pretty cool. The Robert Eggers one, especially, um, there's some fun behind the scenes stuff. If you go to the playlist.net and uh, search for it, there's some fun stories from that um, with uh, <laughs> Robert Pattinson and I think Willem Dafoe. So, yeah. Hell yes. Looking forward to um, that. Fi- hey. Final thought about Hereditary. Um, the close, the credits, the closing credit song. Um, <laughs> it's it's Judy Collins. It's that amazing like folksy Judy, Judy Collins song, both sides now. And, and that's the song 
that ended up in the Toy Story 4 trailer later this year. Yes. Oh, wow. I didn't make that connection. That's funny. Uh, well, and, that and, and that trailer is also yeah. terrifying for Toy Story 4. In its own, yeah, yeah. So that's amazing. Well, and, and one final thought since you mentioned trailers. I think Hereditary also had one of the best trailers of the year. I don't know if it was on our list, but personally, the, uh, the clicking noise oh was God. such a meme before the movie even came out that uh, it just goes to A24 again. Um, knowing how to to promote this movie. I had to go watch the trailer after the fact because everyone told me how good it was, and I try to avoid trailers for things that I'm looking forward to. So anytime the trailer came on in a theater, I would close my eyes and ears. And so, uh, but everyone's like, "Oh, the trailer is so good." So after I saw the movie, I went and watched it and went, "Okay, you aren't lying. This is really, really <laughs> strong marketing." And and it got butts in the seats. Despite, I, I, the, I guess the last thing I will say before we move on to this movie had like a. D plus D minus cinema score something like it had a very low cinema score and and usually that's a box office kiss of death when that happens like they may have made their money opening weekend and this movie had a really strong hold at the box office so yeah um, it's incredible that a movie not only survived a cinema score like that but thrived yeah it, it almost made it more worthwhile uh, it's you know it makes you wish something like mother or something like would have you know that that yes would, you know i worried yeah. that hereditary was gonna that. follow the same fate and it, and it didn't at all uh, it made more considerably more money than <laughs> something like mother did and mother was way more expensive so that's uh you know it's impressive to say the least yeah maybe maybe that's a byproduct of outrage culture where, where it's like the people are like oh you gave aquaman such a bad review i want to see it even more now it's like, okay, I, cool. Can that at least apply to like good indie art films? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, can we have that? Since like people, you know, in every review of something really popular, like people are like, fuck you, that makes me want to see it more. Great. Okay. Then how about that applies just to every film then? <laughs> yeah. I, I think with Hereditary, what it was is uh, because the trailer was so strong, it was uh, attracting that young um, horror jump scare crowd on those Friday nights. Because remember, these, these cinema scores are just that first weekend people, the people right. who are going to, you know, spend the money right away. And the right. people who stick around like second, third, fourth weeks are the tend to be the older people who probably heard from their friend and they're like, no, 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 this isn't a normal scary movie. You'll enjoy this. So, yeah, cinema score is, is you know, just a, a measure. It's not a definitive uh, grade. Well, cool. I think we can move on to our next uh, choices. Uh, maybe the most surprising, I think, to any of us is John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, the directors of Game Night. Um, which, I mean, they've, they've been around the block. They had their hand in the writing of, I think the horrible bosses movies. Um, they also wrote the incredible Burt Wonderstone. Um, and they directed, I think they made the directorial debut a couple years ago with the vacation reboot, which is atrocious. And if you haven't seen it, don't please. It's, it's so bad. And then they come out with game night. The trailer comes out for this movie and, it doesn't look good. It looks like a typical kind of Jason Bateman comedy and movie comes out, gets very well reviewed. People, uh, us who maybe didn't see it immediately. were kind of taken aback by that. Um, went and saw it and went, Holy cow. There's this movie rocks <laughs> and it's really, really surprising. It's a incredibly well paced comedy. It's not over reliance on, um, on improv, like the movie feels very written, but written to a purpose. The the visual design of the movie is incredible. Um, and I know, Rod, I think you want to talk a little bit more at length about the sort of David Fincher mimicry going on here. Yeah, but, but but even the just like from the visual choices of 
you'll have like an overhead shot of a neighborhood and it looks like a game board and then it goes through and looks like and then looks like a neighborhood and it just it's a very funny very incredibly paced a very well done uh and rod i know you've talked about this at length like fincher parody but also like a loving tribute to these type of movies the i would say skip vacation except for the chris hemsworth scenes he is underrated in that movie other than that yeah you're perfectly reasonable for skipping that movie entirely which one vacation oh yeah yeah so like well first of all these guys up until this point in my mind have been like like garbage and laughable (laughs) and their names are on on a lot of terrible movies written those movies are fucking really bad and um you know um maybe that's why you know they got well so then they you know they write everything they've written seems to be pretty fucking horrible and then Vacation was fucking horrible. Chris Hemsworth is funny, but it's a bad fucking movie. And then this came around, and it's exactly what you said. It was like, I just didn't care. I was like, what? Eh, this looks terrible. These guys? Fuck that. And then next. And then, you know, it's sort of the swell comes up, and people are saying it's really, really good. And it's like, it is really fucking good. And, and um, you know, they, they, they just have a, they have a great concept. And, I mean, obviously they do something with it because a concept alone is not enough. But it's a great concept. It's like, they're sitting around, they're watching the game together, and they're like, what if we did this, this kind of movie, this exact same kind of thing, just tweak it, but do it as a comedy, but then shoot it the way Fincher would. So keep it that same thing. And that's exactly what they do. They stick to that. It, it is it is the, the, the thesis of their movie, um, and it totally fucking works. And, 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 and it's so it's really tightly written, as you said, Ryan, and it's really fucking funny, and it's super well shot super well scored the guy who's the guy who who's the dp is basically doing fincher's uh, most recent dp um jeff uh i forget his pronoun chrono thank you um and um uh the composer um cliff martinez. Shit, what's his name again yes cliff martinez who's cliff martinez who's a great composer he's basically doing a kind of riff off of uh trent Reznor and atticus ross and and it's so it's like a stylish dark fincher comedy and it's fucking it totally totally works it's it's, i think it's just really i mean you know you could fail on one of those things because you're going to be like oh this is just our it's like a concept thing and that can be hollow but they just nail the whole thing Um, from start to finish like they get all the characters right they get the comedy right and then their initial concept thesis is is perfectly executed so it's like yeah it's awesome i loved it i will say uh one thing, though, that, that is interesting about this, considering what they've written, is they're not credited for the script on this. Um, it's a guy yeah. named uh, – <laughs> I, I forget the guy's name, but they didn't actually um, write this, which may be good for them. Maybe they needed that, well, that starting yeah, yeah. point to uh, to then just you know focus on, on one aspect of the movie and, and really bring it home because, yeah, I mean, if you look at what they've written – Horrible Bosses, uh, Horrible Bosses 2, Vacation. Yeah. Um, you oh, you're know. right. They're to- well, you know, since they're the directors, though, I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know the full story. They didn't write it, but being as writers, you've got oh, to yeah. know that they must have brought a lot to it. Maybe it's that foundation that it's like, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Originally it, yeah, is that they, they had that foundation of, like you said, this great premise, uh, a fairly obvious premise in hindsight, but, you know, it hasn't really been done this way. 
and they just were like, okay, let's let's bring our sensibilities to that. And and what what we ended up with is a Jason Bateman movie that doesn't feel like another Jason Bateman movie. Um, Jesse Plemons is like oh my God, incredible yeah. in this movie uh, out of nowhere. There are actual surprises, um, which are hard in modern comedies. You feel like you know exactly what's going to happen, but you really don't in this. Um, everything, in, and like you said, it's, it's actually a comedy that's great to look at. And and the, even if the jokes aren't there, this is just a well-made movie uh, with a great score, which is uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, and I also don't want to, like, we're talk, if we're going to shout cast members out, too, and what they do, I don't want to shortchange Rachel McAdams, either. Oh, yeah. I think she's incredible yeah, in this yeah. movie, and, like, I, I've been a fan of hers, and I know she could do comedy, I mean, back to Mean Girls, but, like, I think she's hilarious in this movie. Also, shout to Billy Magnuson, who I think's like, really coming <laughs> up and is an interesting screen presence, and he's kind of the, the himbo in it that is fantastic, and... Sharon Horgan's like an excellent foil yes, to like yes. him in it. And like that whole dynamic is terrific. Like just from top to bottom, this movie's just, just <laughs> incredibly well cast. And, and, and I guess, and you know, I think maybe we've just summed it up, but like an incredible surprise, right? Like none of us would have expected this. two, two quick shouts. We, we put the soundtrack by Cliff Martinez on the best soundtracks of the year. It's that good. And we also put Jesse Plemons on the best performances of the year list too. Okay, yeah, definitely <laughs> good. Um, both both well deserved. One last thing about Game Night is uh, we talk about this is about breakout directors, right? And and what's interesting is seeing what they land next. And their uh, their payment for doing so well with Game Night is a Flash movie for DC. So, uh... yeah, that's a, that's a, <laughs> I feel like that's a whole another can of worms. We. Yeah, not, but it's just, we don't have time to open. But I'm no, I'm with no. you. That's kind of hey. If they brought their visual style to game night, though, I mean that's I mean I don't know. Never mind. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds and in, in DC stuff. This let's no no no. It's just it's just another one of those you know the modern story of you know directors striking it with something that was unique and and fun and and buzzworthy, and then they're yeah. given some studio movie that will you know likely neuter everything that was good about the previous movie so for sure well it is also worth noting if we are going to go down that route briefly i think they were co-writers on spider-man homecoming as well if i'm not mistaken uh, yeah there's like six or seven writers on that though. Yes. who knows what yeah, yeah. <laughs> who knows what or theirs made the cut i just remember seeing yeah. their names on it went oh that's interesting um yeah. all right well i guess we can move on to our next choice uh we have bo burnham for eighth grade, uh, which also got a lot of acclaim, I believe was on our top 25 of the year. Um, and I- I'm curious, like, have you been fans of Bo Burnham's comedy before this? Like, have you followed his stuff strictly? Cause, uh, cause for me, I, uh, I've always, he's somebody who I've greatly respected, but the comedy just never really clicked with me, but I've respected what he's doing with it. But seeing this movie, um, I was really impressed with his chops behind the camera and, and how somebody wrote and directed a movie about something that's not necessarily their experience. Bill Burnham's clearly never been in, in eighth grade girl. Um, but just speaking so much to um, this speaking so much to this generation and the cell phone generation and, and all that um, I, I thought was truly surprising to me. I actually, for the top 25, I wrote the capsule for this one because it was, I think, my number two movie of the year. I um, 
I was a fan of Bo Burnham from a while back. I, I'm slightly too old to really be a fan of his because his comedy did skew a little young for me. Um, it was very, you know, kind of silly music driven comedy, which this isn't my thing. But as you said, he, it's respected because he did it at such a young age. Um, yeah. He is very young. I don't know his exact age. I know he's, um, I think, still in his early to mid 20s. Um, but what you said there is, is perfect. He wasn't an eighth grade girl. But the movie, what's so great and transcendent about it is that we, I wasn't an eighth grade girl, but I felt everything that this girl went through. Um, Even though I didn't have cell phones when I was in eighth grade, I didn't have Instagram, I didn't have to worry about who's liking my posts or anything like that. But the the general thing she went through, uh, I always go back to the swimming pool scene, the, uh, the pool party. Everybody's been there. And he just somehow found this way to... Uh, to really figure it out in ways that other people really haven't. Um, he doesn't treat the kids as as less than the adults. Um, he gives them realistic dialogue. It's not, you know, hey, they're, you know, young people. Um, it was it was just really great. And uh, it's also one of the more emotional movies for me. Um, the, the scenes with the dad, again, I, I'm pretty sure Bo Burnham doesn't have kids, but somehow he's able to nail... Um, this idea of what it would be like to have an eighth grade girl in 2018. And uh, it's pretty incredible all around and definitely one of my favorites of the year. I, I totally agree. I'm right there with you. And uh, I'll shout out to that pool scene. Well, a couple things. Number one, how cringeworthy accurate that is because we have all been in there. But I also want to give a shout out to the score of the movie by Anna Meredith. Like how that scene is shot and scored is like a horror film. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> the second you want, like you just hear this like i i was i was very very impressed with that um and that i think score is awesome it's good i i i it's vote, great i Again, voted for it initially I, I voted for it initially in our first round of seattle film critic voting i was i was a very big fan of that score it's great it's really great i know people see it as a, as a horror film some people i know some people said like this movie's like a horror film to me and i guess i get where they're coming from i don't really quite see it as that but yeah, I mean, I'm. It's interesting listening to, listening to you guys go on about it, talk about it. It's like, yeah, it's not. It's what's you know, it's just universal, right? It doesn't matter that there's Instagram or, or whatever, Snapchat this or that or how how modern it is or it's modern its use of technology. Like none of that stuff at the end of the day really matters. It's it's just that it's universal in in this like sort of awkwardness in this difficult period of transition in our lives, right? It's it's just difficult. We're not quite there yet. We're still like you know, a prepubescent, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a painful time. And it captures that painfulness, um, really accurately. And that sort of that, that, that maybe that's where people also see the horror of it. It's sort of like, sometimes it's just so cringy. It's like, like, it's almost like social horror or something. Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't also find it that cringy. I kind of, um, I, I also really appreciated the kind of the, I, I locked onto you know, no, no surprise really, but like locked onto the sort of like the, the warmness of it too, the father daughter relationship of it, that which I really loved and how awkward her father was and how much, you know, he, he was such a, like an embarrassment to her, but how much, you know, they clearly mean to one another um, and how hard he's trying and how pathetic he is in the way that he exacerbates her, um, her eighth gradeness, even though he doesn't mean to, but you kind of can't help it at that age. Um, so just kind of really, interesting insights like that from both perspectives um 
got that really nice sauce boy. Really like him. Very polite. <laughs> he knows his sauces really well. Very sweet. I really like that kid. I think she. I, if I was the father, I'd be like, "You are very much welcome over anytime you want. Very nice. Come to our basement. I'll, I'll give you guys some some tater tots and some Pepsi Cola and some chicken nuggets. Your, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you guys go watch Bumblebees or whatever you're gonna do. And, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I really dig it. It's it's really it's a really it's and, and and it's funny. I don't know anything about him because he's a YouTube comedian, which means he's non-existent to me. But um, I knew of him, and I knew that like um, what he did and what he was known for. But the idea of like a kid with a guitar doing YouTube songs, which I actually I remember once trying to watch, and I lasted about all fifteen seconds, and I was like, "Bye." Sure. But otherwise. He seems great. I was going to say also, speaking to his comedy roots, like, I mean, he, he, yeah, he started on YouTube, but he was, I think, like 19 or 20 years old on Comedy Central back when Comedy Central still showed stand up. Um, so, so he does have some credentials outside of YouTube, which is, which is interesting because of his age. But um, the, the, one thing that really stood out for me is that you watch the movie and a lot of people, especially in this climate nowadays, will look at a movie starring a 15-year-old girl about what it's like to be in eighth grade and you would think like, oh, well, clearly this is written and directed by a woman. And to find out that, no, it's it's just a you know mid-20s comedian guy is, is remarkable in itself and the fact that people were okay with that, you know? It was so good that people were like, you know what? This guy gets it, and it's totally fine that he's not an eighth grade girl, or never has been, and he made this movie. Right, because because it's good enough, and because it's great. And if it hadn't been, they would have probably torn him to bits. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But but it's a testament. You're exactly what you're saying. It's a testament to like what he pulled off. That like no one had any issues with him. Sort of like you know, um, whatever you want to say it, but you know, people will call it like tourism in a in a you know gender or body or whatever or voice that's not yours but yeah yeah it's again it's just universal right like the awkward and that's one of the things it's like you know i'm sure it's tailored i'm sure he he, he spoke to her and, and and with some choices and stuff and some female friends to bounce stuff off which i believe he did say he did um but um but yeah like you know the, your your gender or your sex doesn't really you know awkwardness is, is universal to any it doesn't really matter you know i mean I'm, obviously there's there's specific uh, frames and shades that apply to different um, genders, but overall, the 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 sense of something being cringeworthy or really painfully embarrassing is pretty it's pretty universal. And and he also he doesn't shy away from the fact that she's a girl. He he wrote it as you know a man writing for an eighth grade girl, but then he he includes a I'm thinking of this scene in the car with the older boy, and. Yeah. To have the the nerve to just say like oh no I'm gonna tackle this because this is part of being in eighth grade and yeah yeah I mean the the confidence there is is pretty great yeah for sure for sure absolutely um I I did want to give a shout out to you real quick that this um isn't the only thing he directed in uh, 2018 um he also directed uh, Chris Rock's latest stand up uh, that's on Netflix Tambourine um which I watched him a huge Chris rock fan. And uh, what I thought was interesting in that standup is he would take like, um, you know, he would just outside of it being a typically shot standup special. He would just zoom the camera in to these like close-ups on rocks face. Whenever he talked about something, maybe like a little bit more personal or a little bit more like uh, he's like, Oh, I'm diving into this. And 
I feel like some of that at least carried over into eighth grade, like the use of close up in this movie and, and the sort of like reactions that he was able to get on um, on the faces of his actors and his subjects. So um, I at least wanted to give a shout out to that. Um, and that's on Netflix. If, if anyone's uh, listening is interested to check that out. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of stand up. I'm gonna check that out. And uh, one thing that stood out last thing, final thought is uh I, I, again, because we're talking breakout, I always think, like, what's next for these guys? And, um, you know, he obviously did a stand-up special. But that we I don't know if he's announced what he's going to do next. But for me, he's in this place similar to, uh, at least in my mind, Jordan Peele, where they nailed it so thoroughly and uh, so specifically with their first movie that I really don't know how he could do better um, and, and what it would look like. You know, is he's not obviously not going to do ninth grade. Um, but what does another Bo Burnham movie look like? I don't know. And and that to me is interesting as well. All right. So we'll move to our next pick, um, which will probably be brief because I believe I'm the only person who's seen it. Um, and it is the documentary Shirkers uh, by Sandy Tan. Uh, this was her first, well, her first, I think credited movie, but the documentary is about her making her first movie in 1992. Uh, she's a Singapore born filmmaker. Um, and she would, her and her friends were into like, uh, film like David Lynch films and, and, and Soderbergh and other like progressive filmmakers of the time. They would, they would like bootleg their movies into Singapore because they were not easily accessible. Um, and then they decided to make their own um, pretty crazy exploitation movie uh, with this with the help of this uh, really like uh, shady. I mean, it's more complicated than that. But this this, this producer uh, George's who who kind of who helped fund the movie, helped make the movie, and then took the movie into post production and then completely disappeared with it, never to be seen or heard from again. And so the documentary is basically about Sandy, like kind of kind of uncovering the past. She'd kind of buried it, didn't really think about it too much. Um, and then the, the, basically the ghost of this project just never left her. And so it's an examination of, of just kind of what went into that producer who screwed it over. And, and of course, the movie is intercut with footage from the movie that she made. And, and man, do I wish that... Um, that had been restored in some way because it's it's pretty out there and, and and she could have definitely made her mark as a as a filmmaker at that time had that movie been released um and and so it's a you know it's it's unfortunate but she, her story is being told in this documentary and i think it's very worthwhile it's a, it's a very uh very cinematic documentary um naturally since they're using footage from i think they're used 16 millimeter film to shoot the film. So, so obviously it's intercut with filmic images, but it's, um, it's, I highly recommend this documentary. And I think that it, Sandy Tan has a very, very strong focus on, on storytelling. And I, I, I can't recommend it enough. I would, I, I haven't seen the movie, but I'd like to add something that was interesting, uh, just and timely is that, uh, Netflix just announced, uh, which is very odd that this movie, by the way, has been out on Netflix, for at least a month or two, I'm thinking. Um, and Netflix, because of the buzz that it got this year, they're re-releasing it in theaters later this month, um, which is pretty extraordinary for them 
um, to put a movie back in theaters uh, after its initial awards run to uh, to get a little bit more buzz. Um, so that's that's pretty great too. Speaks that, highly to yeah. it. Well, that's also because uh, there's a reason for that, right? Like it made the uh, didn't it make the the short list? It did make the short list. Right, um, right. Yes, and it, and it's been I think it's it's been nominated to I I don't know how many it's won, but it's definitely been nominated around the critics groups as well. So it's it's definitely getting a lot of buzz. And if you are lucky enough to see it in a theater, I I did see this. It was a centerpiece film of the North Bend Film Festival in North Bend, Washington, and so I I did watch it in a theater watching it at home is perfectly fine also but if you do get a chance to definitely go go support it because it is pretty cool well I, I, doing it. I think it was announced like literally the the, the announcement of going back in the theaters the day after it made the documentary shortlist now we're down to 15 films that could potentially be nominated for oscar and it's, and it's one of them yeah and it, it won awards uh i'm looking here at la film critics association best documentary Gotham Award Best Documentary was nominated. Um, it's nominated for Best Documentary at the Spirit Awards and uh, won something at Sundance. So, yeah, highly acclaimed. Uh, Very much so and well-deserved. Um, so I know you guys haven't seen it. Uh, I highly recommend you guys check it out. And for our listeners as well, if you haven't seen it, it is on Netflix right now. Go watch it. There's certainly definitely other team members as well who have seen it and highly recommend yeah. it. Oh, yes, yes. List. Of course. And of course. we have a, an interview with Sandy Tan on the website, which is pretty great. And, and Ryan brought up the uh, the fact that he would like to see the Shirkers movie in its full form. Um, and she does go into that in depth on why you may never see it that way. Um, and it's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think that's also a good segue into our next pick, because I believe this is also another documentary that made the short list of for the Oscars, uh, which is Mining the Gap from uh, Bing Liu. And yeah, sort of off mic before we recorded, Charles, you're mentioning, because uh, I hadn't researched uh, Bing's filmography too much, but he has a ton of assistant camera and um, and grip credits, including, uh, you know, shows like Empire uh, or even movies like Chirac, Jupiter Ascending, Transcendence. And um, but yeah, this documentary is, um, well, Charles, you have an interesting <laughs> story, actually, that you said off mic. Why don't... Why don't I pass yeah. the ball to you on this? <laughs> so uh, in preparation for this podcast, I had been – Minding the Gap had been on my list of movies to get to eventually. And I was like, oh, you know what? It's on Hulu. I'll give it a go. It's only an hour 30 minutes. Um, and so I was speaking with my wife and I said, you know, I'm about to go watch this movie. So what's it about? It's like, oh, it's some teens, skateboarding. Um, and we had seen together Skate Kitchen in mid-90s. And she's like, oh, another one of those? And I was like, yeah, it's another one of those. And she said, okay, let's go watch it. And we're watching it and what we discovered it is skateboarding is the through line throughout the movie no doubt but it's these three men um boys i should say who grew up skateboarding but also share this tragic uh backstory that you don't really get the full picture of until really towards the end of the movie it's it's you know they drop i wouldn't say hints they actually discuss it quite a bit over the the entire runtime but every layer they peel back is just it's it's incredible. And suddenly the movie is about masculinity. It's about father figures. It's about um, domestic violence. It, it is so much more than just a Hulu documentary about skateboarding. And on top of it all, and, and not just that the story is incredible, it's Bing Liu, who directed this, is one of these subjects. Um, and he really just pours his heart out uh, in this movie. There's one scene 
where he interviews somebody in his family. I'm, I'm going to try to stay away from spoilers just because I, I really think it's it's something everybody should watch and experience. But he's interviewing one of his family members on camera and he's behind the scenes, but they he's smart enough to know, like, put a camera on me while I while I talk to this person. And his facial reactions are incredible and, and so true. And it, it's it's a movie that by the end of its 93 minutes, I think you will be devastated, but also, uh, you know, feel really good about life in a weird way. I don't know. I'll, I'll let uh, Ryan talk about it, too, because he saw it as well. And uh, it's definitely a movie I can't highly recommend enough. I'm right there with you. I watched it um, this morning back to back with another movie that's going to be on our honorable mention. And uh, I just needed a a cleanse of something, you know, despite, despite them being great, because it is, it's a very heavy documentary and it also doesn't, you know, you, you said it, you articulated it pretty much perfectly. Like every layer they pull back, something is surprising. What it becomes about is surprising. They also don't forget to kind of contextualize, not just their inner workings, but where they grew up. They grew up this in, in, um, I forget the city in Illinois, but the city Rockwell, I believe rock. That's it is Rockwell. It's, city... it's uh, I believe it's a suburb of Chicago or right around. I think it's kind of close to actually, it's about like an hour from where I live. So, oh, is it it's very interesting? Yeah. 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 But this just area that, you know, has fallen around hard times where, you know, just one of those industrial areas where the mills and, and all these places shut down and jobs became unavailable and people uh, moved out of it and house housing prices went down and crime rates went up. Like it, it just, it, it contextualizes that, but with the interpersonal lives of these characters and the sort of like cycle um, that, 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 you know, could be doomed to be repeated. And, um, and like you, I want to avoid spoilers for people. Cause I think this is a very, very, very well done documentary. Um, and and well worth seeking out and and it is it is on hulu it's very accessible very easy to watch um i mean well easy to <laughs> easy to find <laughs> i should specify not necessarily easy to watch but it but it is easy to find and and it comes recommended yeah and and to go on that easy to watch sort of joke there is it it actually is in a weird way easy to watch because of the craftsmanship involved you can tell right. right off the bat that sure this this guy i think he's in his 20s as well as a young guy who um has been making these skateboard videos since he was i don't know 15 and he just kept this love of film so much that when he uh you know to, to talk about his background a little bit when he left the area and kind of went to school and all that he did you know, flirt with Hollywood quite a bit with all these camera jobs and then came back with that knowledge and crafted a documentary using the footage from when he was a kid hanging out with these guys mixed with the footage that he's making now. And uh, it's it's just it's really well done. It's uh, the score is actually uh, pretty great. Um, the music is uh, not what you would expect in a quote unquote skateboarding documentary. And it's uh, yeah, it's just really great. I, I, again, go seek it out for sure. Agreed. And and I want I just the last thing I want to say is, is echo your sentiment. The the thing that really like punched me in the gut. Well, many things did with this movie, but the fact <laughs> yeah. but the fact that that Bing Lu is a subject in in his own own film and something that's not like self serving or vanity. Like it's for a complete <laughs> narrative purpose, a a you know complete focal point of the story, and it's just um it's it's heartbreaking. So um. Yeah, go go seek this movie out. Charles and I cannot cannot recommend it enough. Yeah. Nor can I. I know it was. Um, 
I know a lot of people on the site as well are, are fans of the movie. So that's um, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, it's um, one of those movies, I think, that just uh, flew under the radar and then got dumped on Hulu. And, and as Rod and I talked about before we recorded, like, you know, odds are nowadays you probably have Hulu because of Handmaid's Tale. You wouldn't think to look at this uh, documentary that you may probably have not seen a trailer for or didn't even know about. So uh, speaking of movies that are on Hulu, though, something that the um, <laughs> I think opinions on both this roundtable and the site as a whole, why uh, range very wide. But. I think this movie made such a big splash that, you know, we, we have to have it on our list. Uh, and that's sorry to bother you by boots Riley. And, um, it's a, I mean, <laughs> it's a messy ass movie. I, I think there's no denying that. And I think even the biggest fan of this movie probably wouldn't deny that either, but I think there's a, there's a certain amount of audacity to the movie and a certain amount of just, this this feels like a filmmaker it feels like a first film in two ways one how kind of sloppy and messy the whole thing is but also it is jam-packed with ideas and concepts arguably too many by somebody who feels like this may be their only shot to make a movie so it's all everything that the kitchen sink is going in the movie at once and i don't personally don't think like everything about the movie works but i think this movie by the time it ended, it certainly had my attention. Um, but I, I'll, I'll turn it over to you guys a, a little bit. Um, but uh, but I I will vouch for this movie. You know, messiness and all. I will I will say I think this movie is is a hundred percent worthwhile. Yeah, I mean it's really bold for sure. Um, and, and my favorite thing about it is is probably Lakeith. I mean Lakeith is just fucking great. Oh yeah, he's he's uh, in everything he does is great. He's a fucking killer in um, Atlanta. He's always stealing every scene in Atlanta, and uh, yeah, he's yeah he's you know easily my favorite thing about this movie. I, I think he's uh, great, and and um, but yeah, the director really puts together a crazy bold story. There's a lot of like bold use of music. It's like yeah, I will I will echo both of you and say that it's it's bold and it's messy. Uh, to me, I as I was watching this movie, I had recently been thinking of Hereditary. And even though you couldn't pick two more uh, diverse movies, I think that they both share the idea that both directors of these movies put exactly what they wanted in this movie, you know, in their respective movies. Sorry to Bother You, for good and for worse, is just everything Boots Riley wanted to do. Um, It feels like he didn't pull back anything. And in doing so, um, it could have been one of the worst movies of the year, but there is so much talent there that he was able to attract actors like Lakeith Stanfield, um, Tessa Thompson, uh, all these actor, uh, Army Hammer even. And he gets them to do things that are just batshit crazy. And it, it, 15 minutes into the movie, you know what you're getting into. Suddenly you realize this is some sort of alternate universe. Um, and you are either along for the ride or you're at least interested to see how far he'll go. Um, Boots Riley, that is. And and boy, does he go far. And uh, yeah, it, it's one of those where if I watched the movie, I wasn't a huge, huge fan of it. To me, it's probably middle of the road, as, as odd as it is, because it is so out there. Um, I, I think that I'm really interested to see what he does next, having learned from this. Um, and, you know, the guy, the guy clearly has vision. 
For sure. And I'll be interesting if he does. I mean, I know he's he's primarily an artist, uh, a music artist. So I, I, right. be, I would be curious if, if uh, you know, and the script, to my knowledge, I think this movie, I think he published the script online like a couple years ago, I want to say, or maybe even longer, like 2014. Um, and, and it sort of made the rounds and then Annapurna did pick it up and, and backed it. And that's a whole nother can of worms that I think we don't have time to talk about on this podcast. But um, <laughs> but it is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the best thing that can be said about the movie is it's certainly bold. Again, this movie made a splash. It, it was a, and it was, I think, a decent box office success. I, I want to yeah, say yeah. I think like it was at least like 20 million domestic. Um, it was pretty good. Um, and and the casting from top to bottom, Lakeith. Uh, Tessa Thompson, as you mentioned, Army Hammer, who I was not a huge fan of him particularly, but I've become, I think I've become an Army Hammer fan between this and Call Me By Your Name. I thought he was hilarious in this movie. Um, so yeah, I, like I said, I stand, I stand by its messiness. Um, so yeah, we'll move on to the next pick, which, uh, Rod, I'm going to be passing most of this to you because you're the only one who's seen this movie out of us, sadly. Uh, it is high, at least high on, on both Charles and I's list to watch, but it is The Writer uh, by Chloe yes. Zhao, which made quite a splash this year. I know it's been popping up on a lot of people's top tens, and, and I'm I'm kind of embarrassed that I haven't seen it. But uh, I'll, uh, yeah, I'm going to pass the ball to you on this one. Well, I caught up with it really late. Um, it was one of those things that, I mean, maybe like you guys, it's like, yeah, it's kind of really good critical acclaim. I need to see that. It's supposed to be good. And then you just kind of, you know, the next thing, something takes precedence, something takes precedence. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really fucking good. It's really gorgeous. Um, it's a, it's a, it's about a guy, um, you know, who, who trains and rides. He's a, he's a rodeo rider. He rides, he bolt like, you know, like crazy riding bulls. And it's a big part of the lives of him and his friends in, in, um, geez, I'm, I'm spacing on where they are at some place like, like Oklahoma or something. And they, it's, it's, it's a big part of their culture and they t- treat it very seriously. And he gets, you know, it's no spoiler to say just the, the basic premise of it is he's a bull rider and then he gets injured and he gets, he sustains this really bad injury. And then the movie essentially becomes a, a, a portrait of, um, identity, um, like who, who is this guy if he's not a bull rider, he's defined his life like that. Um, his, all his friends do it. His best friend has done it. Um, his father does it. They own horses. Um, they dress like cowboys and it's not ironically, like it's very sincere. Like we are cowboys, you know, and this is what we do with our lives. And, and, and we respect these animals. We respect these traditions. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, and it's just, I don't, it's just really beautiful. It's well acted. The kid who, um, stars in it is, um, not like a real actor is he essentially it's about his story. Like he was a bull rider and he, um, injured himself and then it's just struggled to see what, like what he can do or if he goes back and I don't want to spoil any of that, but it's, um, uh, it's also sort of kind of a portrait of, of, of masculinity, and and it's also a portrait of of of, um, of being lost as a human being, and um, it, it's just so thoughtful, it's so considerate. Um, cowboys and that kind of thing is probably one of the least interesting things for me. Um, I don't I'm not into that kind of iconography or anything, but she treats it so beautifully. Um, with so soulfully, so so rich, so so much dignity with these characters, um, it's amazingly well shot. 
you know, people will probably say a Terrence Malick thing. I, I think that's too glib of a comparison, but there's certainly beautiful vistas and like shots of, you know, nature and uh, things of that nature. Um, but she's a, a first rate talent, really good. The way she introduces the movie. So, um, uh, visually first, you know, a lot of these kids are, especially the main kid in, in this movie, he's, he's sort of taciturn. He's sort of an internal character. He's gr- kind of gruff. He doesn't, he doesn't speak. He doesn't communicate so much with his, his words. Um, so a, a lot of things are just sort of like visually introduced. She's just a really visually striking director. And I mean, I think that's about all I can say about it. Cause you guys haven't seen it. Uh, it's, I highly recommend it. It's really good. It's probably available digitally anywhere else. And I guess the last tag to it is that she is now going to be making a sci-fi cosmic Marvel film, which when you see that movie, the writer, and then you think of that, she's doing the Eternals for Marvel. Am I right, Charles? She's doing Eternals. Yeah. Right? Yeah, she is. Yeah. Like, it, like I, I just can't even fucking fathom it. <laughs> like it, it is like when Lucrecia Martel met, I don't know if you guys saw that news recently, yeah. but Lucrecia Martel was, was, was asked to meet with Marvel about, directing black panther or black widow she revealed recently and she was just like no but like when when that was mentioned everybody was like lucrisa martel what like doing a marvel movie how the hell would that work and that's the exact feeling i have about this it's either like a risky crazy move or marvel's just trying like you know it's it's i'm fascinated by the idea um because this is be like the last person's in, in the entire world that you would ever think of being one of the, being one of those kinds of directors. And it'll be interesting. I don't know if it's going to work simply because like, I don't know. I just finished watching just to go on a quick tangent, uh, leave no trace by Deborah Granick, but it would be like imagining like her trying to do a Marvel movie. Like, you know what I mean? Like what, what would be the interest there? Like what, there's no crossover of, other than Marvel maybe being like, you know, we just fuck it. We just want really good filmmakers and good storytellers who could be emotional and we'll give you the tools for absolutely everything else. But right now, all we care about is people who understand, who can bring like soulfulness into the human condition of these superhero films, which is what I think everybody should do because at, at the end of the day, that's really what makes the, the ones special from the ones that aren't. Um, but who knows? Uh, yeah, just to speak on that aspect of it, because I haven't seen the writer, um, bringing it back to the Lucretia Martel uh, interview she gave, she actually talked about that because uh, they said to her, they said, uh, don't worry about the action scenes. We got you covered for that. You know, just do your thing on everything else. And the reason she turned down Black Widow, or, or at least didn't move forward with discussing it, is because she said, well, I want to do the action scenes. So what I what I would venture to guess is that they looked at the writer, saw that she nailed everything that you were talking about, and then said, don't worry about the action. Don't get bogged down in the details. Like you said, we got the tools. We'll, we'll, we'll put that on the screen. You just like work on the heart and soul of the movie and, and make sure that, you know, it's not just action. And, uh, yeah, that's great. And one last thing before we move on is we do have a podcast on the website with Chloe Zhao, where she talks about the writer in depth. So definitely seek that yeah, out. I, yeah, I need to go back and, and, and listen to that because I hadn't seen it at the time. But yeah, it's really good. It's a really um, soulful, graceful, elegant piece of filmmaking. 
Awesome. I can't wait to catch up with it and then to catch up with the podcast that's on our site because uh, the only reason I have not listened to it is because I have not seen the movie. Um, so yep. uh, moving on to our next pick, uh, a movie that uh, I feel like at least got a, a second life, uh, at least through uh, a lot of us on the site and through uh, many other people's top tens, uh, is Wildlife by Paul Dano, and uh, which he wrote with Zoe Kazan, uh, which I think they collaborated on Ruby Sparks. Um, but this is Paul Dano's first directorial debut, and um, I didn't even know he had a movie out. Uh, I didn't even really know much about this uh, until I started hearing people talking about it. And I sat down to watch it one day and uh, this movie blew me away um, fully. And uh, I guess, Ron, I'll pass it to you. I'm very glad to hear it. Oh, man, it was on. I mean, again, uh, numbers lists. It's all relative whatever but for what it's worth it was number seven i think on my top 10 of the year um can i can i take a little bit of film twitter credit for giving it its second life you can i will 100 percent grade that <laughs> <laughs> like just a little bit because i've got a very small following but like you know there's people who really really loved it at sundance david ehrlich was one of them um but there was i know we gave it kind of cool review and 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 by the time it rolled around to the New York Film Festival in uh, early October, it was cold. That movie was cold. It had no, it had no heat anymore. Um, and then it played the New York Film Festival, and then a whole bunch of New York critics saw it. And I obviously can't be the only one who who gave it love and loved it. Or maybe it, it maybe some people saw it again, and it, and it regalvanized them. But to me, like I, I was over the moon over it, and and I just just kind of went off about how how amazing i thought it was and and i'm hoping that it worked a little bit i don't know like uh it, it's it seems like people have caught on to it it's, it feels it still feels like a little like it was like pretty low on our top 25 list i think yeah i think um, i think a couple of us having it high boosted it up yes, to make yes. the I list think a lot of, yes i think that's exactly right because we did it as an ordered numbered list, you know, you know, one to ten. You, if you give it a one, you get ten points, or you know, that kind of system. Um, and I think a lot of people hadn't seen it. I'm not sure how people are interested. I'll fully admit that I wasn't very interested until I saw it. Um, I was like, kind of like whatever. And then um, I wasn't even going to go see it in theaters. I was like, I was like, oh, I'll just catch up. I'll get a screener, you know, whatever. And then I got invited to the New York film festival night of that it was screening. And I was like, fuck it. All right, I'll go, you know, but I, cause we had given it sort of a soft review and it only had some buzz and I just wasn't all that interested. And I don't really didn't know really much about it. And I was like, all right, fine, whatever. It is so exquisitely made. It's so, um, so well-written. It is so, such a visual movie in a way that people would never consider. I don't think a traditionally visual movie, but it is so, um, telling a lot of information is, is told visually through expressions yes. and in this beautiful way, a really, really thoughtful camera in a way that is not obvious camera. Um, I, I wish I'd almost even seen it again because if I could like just see like, like, you know, just certain, certain things I just kept remember being so blown away about these choices and they're all small, but they're like windows to the soul kind of choices. There's this great scene. The only one that I can really remember specifically 
but it's such a director choice and such a great one. It's a father and a son, and we're learning about the, the dynamic of this. It's a, it's a fam- for those that don't know, it's a, it's a movie about a family, and it's essentially about the disintegration of a family through the through the eyes of the young teenage boy. His mother and her father are becoming more and more estranged. They're essentially estranged at the beginning of the movie. We don't know why, but we do. You know what I mean? The movie doesn't have to tell us the the specifics we don't need to, we understand through their relations through their interactions that their relationship is strained and we don't need specifics other than that because we know what that's like right we everyone understands what a strained relationship and, and can understand the baggage or imagine the baggage because it's conveyed through the friction of this family and we, and we have a father who who can't really he we learn quickly he sort of like can't stick to jobs he's got an issue with authority and and his class is a big thing for him and it's just difficult for him and he's with his son he's working on a golf course and you know his boss says hey come here for a second um i need to talk to you and it's a scene you know it's not really much of a spoiler because it happens at the beginning of the movie but he's fired essentially and but the camera stays with the son and it tells you that this is the this is very early on and it tells you this movie is going to be about this kid's experience. It's not. It's like sort of the informing, opening, informing shot of the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, where, like, the, the father, who is Jake Gyllenhaal of all people, a big star, walks to the boss, who says, "Hey, come here." Normally, in any kind of cinema cinema vernacular, when someone says, "Hey, come here," and everyone stops, everybody looks and, and turns, especially the camera, right? Right. And you go to to go see what this is all about. And it doesn't. It stays, and it slowly moves in on the son. And his son is watching this conversation from afar, and we're hearing a little bit of notes of dialogue and murmur. But we understand from the son, who's sort of like, oh, cool, the boss is talking to my dad. As this conversation goes on, his body language and his face and everything, and the camera slowly moving in, it all tells a story. And it's the story that is dawning on him that his father's being fired. And what that means about this person who's supposed to be my idol and my father and and this thing, my hero. And it's just so fucking rich and so emotionally and intelligently complex. And it's only one example, but that movie is just fucking filled with gorgeous little moments like that. And it's just, to me, that's grand filmmaking that's not grand on any scale, like, but, but just smart and sharp and really well done. And I got to say that movie blew me away. Me too. And I feel like, you know, a couple things like it's based on a book, number one, but this I would have I would have 100 percent bought that this movie was like autobiographical. It just feels so deeply personal, not just from the standpoint of like all the directorial choices and how Paul Dano is seeing it through the kid. But the fact that the kid who is great, by the way, uh, Ed Oxenbold, yes. who plays the kid, um, yeah. looks like Paul Dano. He looks like a young Paul Dano. And mm. like at first it was just minorly distracting completely got over it because i'm like wait is this autobiographical and then figuring out like the time period like the movie set in the the mid 60s late 50s early to mid 60s somewhere in there in montana and i'm like well that timeline wouldn't add up for this to be autobiographical for paul dano um Mm. but it just but it feels like he poured so much heart and soul into it and i feel like you know he's worked with so many great filmmakers he's worked with paul thomas anderson he's worked with steve mcqueen like he i feel like he took a lot of the lessons watching them work behind the camera and applied it to this movie and um 
you know, I, I really couldn't put it better than you put it. You put it so beautifully, but just like non showy camera work, but camera work that tells you literally everything. The performances, Carrie Mulgan in this movie, my God, why is she not on the tip of everybody's tongues for best actress? Yes. Like I do not yes, give stock absolutely. to awards too much, but this is the one of those instances where I'm like, Jesus Christ, how, how is this not being talked yeah, about more? Yeah, because yeah. she is mind blowingly good in the movie. And I don't want to like, that's not even being hyperbolic. She's that damn good in it. Um, yeah, this movie just, I, I was impressed and I, I, I knew almost nothing about it until a screener link came in my uh, inbox and I'm like, Oh, I've heard about this movie. I mostly heard superlatives from you. And then I watched it and went, Oh, holy shit. This is the real deal. I wish that I went and saw this when it had its brief Seattle run. Um, cause it's, it's, it's yeah. special for sure. It's, it's just great around all, all around. You've got, you know, you've got a, a story about family, which is to me, it's also my favorite story of, 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 of family in, in, of the year, um, over any of the Roma, any, any family movie, it's the most powerful, most impactful, most emotional to me. You've got, like you mentioned, Carrie, amazing performances. Jake is incredible. And he's just sort of a the sort of third supporting character, but he's amazing in it. He leaves for half the movie, but you know, you feel his, his absence because he's, he's fucking such a terrific actor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really, um, and, and then there's some really heartbreaking stuff later happens on between the mother and the, um, the, the son while the father's away working, um, which is awkward and painful, but there's actually also an excellent, while we're plugging a really great interview with Carrie Mulligan on the site talking about it and her character and some of the choices that I think maybe some audiences don't really like or don't understand what she's doing. And she articulates why her character's doing what she does very well. Um, and, and also it's just, I mean, I think, you know, Paul Daniel seems like a great filmmaker, but um, you know, I'm really glad that, his 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 wife his partner Zoe Kazan co- co-wrote it. I feel like it is very even-handed in that way. It gives her a lot of agency. I feel like you do feel the hand of her writing in there. Yeah, she's really smart. She's she's really great. Um, uh, and and their last movie, um, uh, that they wrote Ruby the, Sparks. the what was yeah, which I really like actually. I think it was really well written. I think it's a fun cute sad perfect little rom-com kind of thing with a with a sort of concept to it um but this is just really something really something special and it is really overlooked and i think um it's not going to be part of the awards conversation or at least not the oscars at all which is a huge shame but it's it's fucking great it's really really good agreed like please please seek this out if you still if it's still in the theater near you yeah i feel, I feel like people need to, to to do that they need to seek it out like it's it's the weird one that i think a lot of people are those who really love it are really really advocate for it and um it's kind of gotten lost in the mix a little bit uh well time i mean we we i think we say a lot like time will time will ultimately tell um, I mean, yeah. it's getting harder in this day and age. With this, there's just so much stuff out there. But I think, I think this oh, will, times definitely yeah. going to be on the side of this movie. Yeah, it'll it'll rise to the top eventually. So I, you know, I worry yeah. about it now. I don't worry about it in ten years. I think it'll it'll rise to the top. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So uh, moving on to our next pick, uh, and man, I really hope I do not butcher his name. Apologies in advance. Uh, Anish Shiganti. Uh, he directed Searching 
which came out, I believe, at the end of the summer. Uh, it's a one of these screen life movies, a uh, lot that have been spearheaded by uh, Timur Bekmembetov. Uh, kind of started with uh, Unfriended a couple years ago, uh, a movie I actually surprisingly liked, but it was definitely, you know, it was seen more of an experiment. Um, the, the the for those who aren't familiar with the screen life genre, I should probably preface that up front that it, it's it's basically a movie that takes place entirely on a computer screen. Um, and so Unfriended did that, but it was kind of a like, you know, it was it was a a cool gimmick for a horror movie, but it was kind of exactly that a gimmick. And um, this movie is used in service of a of a kidnapping story of a kid or a kidnapping slash missing i wouldn't even say necessarily kidnapping just missing girl story um and it's it stars john cho who is great as always and great in this movie um but the way this what struck me and and um you know i have like an issue with the movie which we do or do not have to get into but the what i will say what struck me about this movie is how impressive it uses the tools that we use day to day how we use our computers how we use our phones and actually used that in a meaningful way to construct a narrative to not just use it as a gimmick like everything about the movie does fit in a way that feels organic that 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 person would do in that situation in in pretty much every situation in the movie there's nothing that feels out of step and so the fact that it's using this technology something that has you know been used in film but it's actually using it to tell a story i think um is not an easy feat and i think for a you know young filmmaker such as this it's, it, that was very impressive yeah i i would like to to mention what really struck me about this because i also surprisingly enjoyed the first unfriended more than i thought i would um the opening to this movie is really great uh he uses the screen life technology to tell a story that without any words any spoken dialogue i should say um where through the use of what the screen looks like you know going through uh windows 95 to like windows 98 To then, you know, a modern thing. And, and through that, you notice, like, through the searches, through, like, the way the things are, uh, the movies that are added, like, the little family movies and then deleted. And there's all this story in the first, I want to say that's about five or six minutes. It's a lot like where, the opening from Up a little yes. bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's sadly, uh, and, and, you know, it's a, you know, a testament to his ability. It is very much like up in that it tells this story that it's really going to punch you in the gut, as you said, and, and without any dialogue. And then from there, what you end up with is a really, I would say, gripping mystery um, about what happens to this guy's daughter, who he realizes through the course of Google searches, Facebook chats, FaceTime, all this stuff that he really doesn't understand his teenage daughter, um, which I guess is probably one of the I don't have a teenage kid, so I can't speak to that. But I would assume it is one of the biggest fears that a parent might have is that you really don't know what your kid's up up to. Um, and and he plays with that idea. And then John Cho through a screen um, and and chat sessions is incredible. Um, it's. it's the director of these, you would quickly write off normally as like, well, he's just using these tools that are given to him. But it's one of these where he really did go above and beyond in using 
the technology in ways that hasn't been done before. And people will no doubt copy in the years to come. And it's it's really well done. Yeah, I mean, John Cho is awesome. And I love John Cho. That guy just keeps getting fucking better and better. Like, he's, like, so good. Um, I, I adore him. Um, but this director, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think you can call it a gimmick because it's, it's the the central like it's it's the tool that they use to tell the story. Yeah, not it's for not, this movie. I like Unfriended was kind of a gimmick because oh, it's like, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I in fact I I assume ninety nine percent of these kinds of movies and there's been a few that 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 you know sort of use like you know the your FaceTime or whatever as a movie. Um, for the shorthand of it, I assume that most of them are a movie. And I, and to me, it's like he uses all this stuff as a very, very clever a storytelling tool and a way to make a movie that about people talking on screens that's incredibly visual and incredibly visual in a way that like that a lot of films aren't. Like it's like it's it's incredibly imaginative and it's like so much bang for your buck and not going anywhere and not having to lift it like a finger in terms of like locations and all this stuff. And like, it must probably didn't cost that much money to make, you know, but the um, attention to I, detail it would have taken to do this correctly. <laughs> like I, I guarantee the budget was low, but to get it all right. Like, yeah, no, that's... no, he, I like, I, that's, I, it's just, it's just very in, ingenuity, you know, it's very ingenious and ingenuity filmmaking and, and, um, it's just clever and, and, but, but beyond it's not clever, clever winky. It's just like smart. And, and it, it, yeah, it's a great storytelling tool. I know there's a twist in in this movie that, um, a a lot of people, some of it is, it makes or break the film for some people. Um, I didn't love the twist and yet overall, I'm still just left with a great piece of filmmaking and a great story. Um, the twist doesn't really, heard it for me because he's just done such a great job up to that point. Um, I remember feeling sort of disappointed in the moment, but like, you know, weeks away from it now, I'm just like, no, that was great. It was like really well-made constructed movie. And he creates a thriller out of this, out of, uh, you know, um, all this essentially like different kinds of, you know, YouTube, every sort of kind of thing you can possibly imagine. And then going into it and diving, like, going into Google Maps and, and that becomes a, a visual narrative. Like we're inside Google Maps now. We're going to tell a story through that. And then we're going to go to this and that. And it sounds gimmicky, but it, it's just very organic and very sharp. I mean, he really, uh, it's really, really impressive what he pulled off. You you mentioned the detail and, and that is kind of really the the all encompassing aspect of this movie is the attention to detail is, is incredible. And it had to yeah. be. Um, because without it, this movie would have just been very by the book and, and not nearly as impressive. But just a, a couple things about that, that that struck me is when you're telling these types of stories, these mystery thriller things, uh, normally when you have a red herring or when you have a clue, the filmmaker feels necessary to zoom in on it or to make it obvious through dialogue or or some trick to let people know, like, hey, pay attention to this. And in this one, he doesn't. The clues are all there. If you go back and watch this movie a second time, you will see and you'll be you'll feel stupid because you'll be like, oh, my God, it was all there. And what you what he does is he doesn't, you know, 
wink at the audience at all. He doesn't say, here's your clue, here's your red herring. He lets you piece it together as if you are the dad, if you are John Cho and you're looking through bank account statements and you're, you know, looking at Venmo and all these things that sound incredibly boring are, are just riveting. And when he does cheat a little, and I, I, I wouldn't even call it cheating, but when he does leave the computer screen and he uses, um, uh, towards the end, he uses uh, cell phones and he uses, uh, shoot, security cams. Uh, when he does that, it's again, it's it's not uh, a gimmick. It's not cheating. It, it, it all serves the story first and foremost. And it, yet the twist is, you know, take it or leave it with me. It's... It, it, it it may not be the the greatest twist of all time, but you know it, it to me like like Rod, it doesn't out uh, it doesn't change how I felt for ninety five percent of the movie. So to me, it's ultimately successful. I'm curious if this guy sticks with the screen life stuff moving forward, or if he he ventures into more uh, traditional storytelling. But uh, yeah, I'm aboard anything he does from here on out. Absolutely. I guess the last I, I have two final thoughts uh, before we get to our last filmmaker. Um, uh, or last before we get into our honorable mentions anyway uh i unfortunately am one of those people where the twist broke it for me and i i, I hate to be on that side like hundred like i hate to view movies like that it just it just really didn't work for me but i talking it out with you guys makes me appreciate so much of what came before it that i i think i've i've warmed up to a little bit but i just that twist just does stick in my mind as uh as just being kind of gratingly bad, but, um, but everything else about the movie works pretty damn well. Uh, and I will say, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit off mic and I mentioned, uh, Timur Bekmembetov has kind of been the, the producer spearheading these. And, uh, he directed one of these screen life movies called profile, uh, that has been making the festival circuits and it's really damn good. And it comes out next year. I don't know when, I don't think it has a release date. I don't even know if it has a distributor yet or not. Um, yeah, I don't think it does. Yeah, uh, that's a shame. But uh, when it does make its way out, I say look for that. And let's also look out for what Anish does next because uh, that he certainly shows a lot of skilled craft in, in this movie for sure. And shows that this genre is uh, is is not a gimmick, can be used extremely well, and is, uh, is going to be here to stay, I think, um, for a while. Um, yeah. So yeah. before we move on, one more thing. I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, just a fun thing. If you are watching this movie a second time through, um, they revealed. Uh, I don't know if it was him spearheading this or if it was the the people who do the screen life animations and whatnot. But they put all of these little Easter eggs to an alien invasion throughout the movie. So if you look at the world building, there's actually an alien invasion happening as this story is progressing. Which oh, is very interesting. And like the news ticker stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. All okay. of it. The president's about to make a uh, an address uh, about, you know, these visitors and just all this fun stuff that is hidden in the headlines that, again, adds to the detail. But is it or is it not a Cloverfield movie? <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I know. I know it's not. Uh, but that's, Don't give them ideas. I, I know. <laughs> shh, shh. I hope they're not listening. So, yeah, moving on to the, the last one we'll talk about in depth before going into some honorable mentions. Um which made sense because I believe if I'm looking at this, even just off the top of my head, I think this was the most uh, has grossed the most money out of any movie on on this list or any of the honorable mentions. Um, and is I believe, as Gregory wrote, the likely Oscar front runner, which is a Star Is Born. I guess I'm not going to belate the point any longer. Uh, Bradley Cooper's directorial debut uh, that garnered has garnered tons of critical acclaim, made a ton of money at the box office, is the likely Oscar front runner. And um, as such with these things, I think there's like a little 
bit of backlash to the movie, but um, I guess for me personally, I think it's quite an accomplished feat for a first director. I know, I mean, I know like Bradley Cooper being a, a big Hollywood filmmaker, you know, not everyone making their first movie is going to get a, a $30 million budget and get to work with Matthew Libatique as your cinematographer and, and uh, have Lady Gaga co-write the songs and star in the movie. But I don't think that takes away from the fact that the movie as a, as a musical drama, as a reimagining of the story, uh, as a character piece, um, the cinematography, which I think like some people have dogged on. I, I remember, I don't remember who said it. Somebody is like Bradley Cooper should learn how to use a wide shot. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I personally dug the close no. up. Yeah. I like <laughs> the close ups. Those, those and, and, and also those are choices. Yes. Yeah. Those are choices. And it's, I like the choices good. of the close ups in this movie. Like I like that. It's both like kind of zooming in, on their world, like despite this like superstardom going around, they're just keeping it intimate between them, uh, mm-hmm. keeping it intimate between that story. Like I think that that's great. I I, I don't know. I I'm a, I'm a fan of this movie. I, I I've been a fan of this movie since it came out, um, and uh, I I think it's it's again I think it's a good feat for for a first filmmaker for sure. You know I like if I put it together a top twenty of my favorite films of the year. I don't think it's on it, but I'm still an abashed fan of this movie. Unabashed, like like I I, I think it's great. I think he did such a good job. Um, it's been months since I saw it because I saw it when it first came out, and I'm and and you know the long tail is always to me that like what do you really think of it? Like what do you remember? Like what's what 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 are you left with? And that to me is always the most important thing, right? Like you know, um, experience is, is is a lot, but the resonance is, is really important. And I'm just left with this this sort of like you know. Really, I, I know it's not perfect. I know there's a lot of things that, like, that I don't know people have issue with or this or that. But like, I'm just sort of left with this really soulful tale of a guy who I, I'm gonna probably like paraphrase something that I've written on the site recently. But like, a guy who sustained an emotional injury as a child, became famous really young, was never able to deal with his shit because fame re- rode him for years. Um, he, so you've got this thing, but like, you know, you're lifted for a good probably 10 years or something like that, you know, where and you don't have to, it's like, you don't have to deal with like some, an emotional trauma that you had. You just know, you, you know, you just, the next big hit, the next big thing that's awesome. Life's awesome. Life's awesome. Everything's coming at me and you know, I'm becoming an alcoholic and stuff, but I don't, I'm not really ever coping with like this emotional trauma that I had as a, as a child. And so that's his story, right? And I feel like that's told really honestly, authentically, and soulfully. And then there's her story that that, that you know is uh, is a different thing. It's hers, like you know, she's this talented woman. She's really ambitious, but she's kind of like I think she it, when we kind of meet her, like she's uh, um, I, I think she's probably assuming her life's not going to go to the superstar trajectory and this sort of moment of kismet and fate happens and, and they sort of meet at this right moment in time. And they just, <coughs> excuse me, they literally like, you know, dive into it head first, not knowing where it's going to go in this relationship, but they're just like, fuck it. And the relationship goes forward at this. There's, it's like, you could subtitle this movie, like the velocity of love. Like it, it um, and it's just so like you know headstrong and passionate, and of course it crashes and burns the way it does in in a way that you know he can't cope with because he can't handle. He's still got shit going on, and and 
this sort of this real emotional relationship forces him to deal with some of his issues. And of course that goes bad because he hasn't had to deal with them. And so the alcohol and things like that gets worse. And obviously the way, the, where the places that it goes, but yeah. All right. That's what I have to say about it, but I really dug it. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess of the three of us, I'm the least on board with this movie, not to say that it's bad because I, I did enjoy it and I think it is very well made. I just feel that the where Cooper shines is in that first act of the movie. Um, really, as it goes into the performance of Shallow, I think is just like such a moment. And yeah. it, it's when he the way he shoots that going back to what uh, Ryan was saying, the fact that these big performances, which were at like stadium size audiences, but Cooper chooses to keep the camera on the stage focused on the performers and, and doesn't, you know, try to do this, like what was done in Bohemian Rhapsody, where it's just all about how big everything is. This is very much a story about these two people at this point in their lives going through what they're going through. And that's, and that's pretty incredible. And, uh, working with Lady Gaga and, and having her be this force, you know, cause she is, you know, charisma personified and for Cooper to, to be able to direct that and then also to direct himself and make himself as much of a, yeah. a, a lead in that is, is really great. And, um, finally, as, as I was saying, the, the parts where he lost me a little bit, were a bit in the middle with, uh, you know, the, the, the drama, I guess, of the, the relationship it kind of felt a little by the book to me, but then he redeems it at the end, um, that, that moment. And, and I don't think we'll need to really spoil it, but the, the end of the film right before the very end, um, the, the arc of the characters ending at the, at the, the moment it does with, uh, with Cooper showing, you know, the, uh, what ends up happening um, with these two characters, but does it in a very reserved way is, is really great. And so, as I was saying, it, it begins very well with, and, and leading up to Shallow, which is just the song of the year, um, and then goes into, you know, this middle part that, you know, I can take or leave, but then it ends on such a high note that you leave that movie and you're just like, holy crap, uh, this was directed by Bradley Cooper? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just really great. Yeah, I and just the and I don't want to bemoan it too much, but just the the sheer use of visual storytelling, like even the the sort of uh, the the ending of that arc, and and again we won't get too into spoilers, but that's like foreshadowed so excellently in the beginning of the movie uh, over a billboard when he first meets Ali, Lady Gaga's character in the drag bar. Like you see a rainbow billboard, and you see a particular item that that comes into play later in the movie and and it's it's just supremely well done and when i uh, when i left the movie i think i tweeted something to the effect of matthew libatique should shoot all musical biopics or musical related <laughs> movies from now on because he also is a dp uh for f gary gray on straight out of compton uh a movie that definitely does paint the big broad strokes in a biopic but it's also super cinematic and the way he moves that camera in that movie is is very strong yeah i was so impressed with this movie and the performance is all the way around and even like the smaller roles the the sheer amount of comedians that are cast in this movie too like we have dave Chappelle and uh, andrew dice clay who's fantastic in it and uh, eddie griffin who's in it briefly um like everyone from top to bottom um sam elliott of course is is getting a lot of award recognition as he should uh, i know twitter seems to make a meme out of one of the most emotional moments in the movie it's which is kind <laughs> of amusing i guess but like uh the way he handles that scene is uh 
pretty expertly done and the music and and i think too like if you're gonna do a music movie the music on their own has to work and i think these these pop songs these pop ballads work incredibly well as songs in and of themselves so um yeah i got i got nothing but love for this movie all the way around you you mentioned the comedians and and that reminded me that uh bradley cooper after the movie has been you know what it's been this behemoth of a uh, award season hit. Um, he was talking about his original idea for the Jackson Maine character, and he actually wanted Jack White of the White Stripes to play the character, which again it just goes to show you he was not he was definitely thinking outside the box with his casting choices, which ultimately went really well. And um, I'd be very curious to see what Jack White would have done with the role, but uh, yeah, just a fun little fact cool i mean i think that that pretty much wraps up our top 10 but we do have a couple other we have about 10 more we want to uh sound off so uh we could just go around the circle i think um i'll start with you charles are there a couple more uh breakout filmmakers breakout films and filmmakers that you want to want to highlight yeah um i think we would be remiss if we didn't mention john krasinski is uh directing a quiet place um his direction on that movie turned what would have been a very uh, probably lame Cloverfield-esque movie and, and turned it into something that was, again, just a, a massive hit and and really spoke highly of, of his future. Even though he this isn't his first movie, um, it, for a lot of people, this is the one that will uh, put him on the map moving forward. Um, another one uh, that we talked about was Kay Cannon from Blockers. Uh, she started in as a writer on films like the pitch perfect trilogy and uh, has somehow turned in a movie that is about as anti pitch perfect as you can get uh, in my eyes, at least it's a movie with jokes that are very timely that will stand the test of time that uh, have incredible young actresses in the roles, as well as the, uh, the adults. Um, she is definitely an, a director that has a strong future, I think. And um the last one I'll mention is uh, Thoroughbreds, which is from Corey Finley, who is a theater guy, and he made the leap into feature films with one of the most unique movies I saw all year, um, again, with two very strong lead uh, young actresses and a story that is hard to sum up, but makes complete sense when you watch it. And uh, I believe is the last film with Anton Yelchin, which is sad, but also uh, very good. So yeah, those are the ones that I, I would like to highlight as well. Nice. I second pretty much all of those picks. Um, and I'll, I'll kick over to you, Rod, couple, couple other directors you want to mention. I guess, you know, I, I, I echo all that. I agree with all of it. Um, I just want to give a quick little, shout out nod to Krasinski. The other one that I want to shout out, a really big shout out is, is Jim Cummings is Thunder Road. Um, this small, small indie release that premiered at South, South by Southwest. I believe it won the best, uh, like the, you know, the prize for the best film at South by Southwest, although that's in their sort of dramatic competition and it's within smaller films. Um, uh, but, but Thunder Road is like, God, what, what it's about. It's like about a guy who's, life is kind of falling apart. He's a cop. He's getting a divorce. His wife is sleeping with another man. She wants to leave him. He's got a teenage daughter. He's trying to connect with his teenage daughter and his teenage daughter wants has nothing to do with him. And he's going through an emo- a kind of basically an emotional breakdown um, in the middle of it. And there's not so much of plot and it does not matter one iota. 
and um, Jim Cummings directed it. He starred in it. He edits it. He produces it. He writes the music. He wrote the screenplay. He does fucking everything in this movie, and every element of it is fantastic. Um, it is like a, but a movie about a guy who's on fire. He's emotionally. He. It's like you. You plug yourself in. You. It's, you know. You accidentally strike an electrical cord and and you get shocked. But this guy can't let go, and that's what his life is like. It's it's fucking. So everything. The panic, the 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 comedy, the the heartache. The, the all of it is just really live wire and really really felt and really painful and funny and sad and very humanistic and at first you're like what the fuck this is like really erratic you know um but it really comes together it really gels once you get into the the strange rhythm of it and it's fucking ending is beautiful and really humanistic and uh i cannot wait to see what this guy does next because man that's really talented and, and and not like anything you've seen in terms of like a an indie film it just feels really personal, but it doesn't feel like I, I would be really hard pressed to like kind of like um, describe it or, 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 or other than that or, or sort of um, compare it to something else. Nice. I look forward to catching up with that one. That one has also been on my list of things to watch. Uh, also on our list, briefly mentioned a shout out to Jennifer Fox's movie, The Tale. It's a, a survivor slash a survivor of. It's an investigative movie. It's a it's a movie about a woman who kind of realizes in her late forties that she was sexually that a relationship she, she had when she was thirteen years old was sexual abuse and something that she hadn't come to terms with and hadn't grappled with. Um, and then uh, uh, something triggers um, something key really triggers her uh, memory of the whole thing, and it starts to unravel. She begins to unravel. Um, and she has to, 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 to come to grips with something that she sort of like swept under the rug and thought, oh, you know, well, it was the seventies or whatever. But when she really unpacks it and, and she's a documentary filmmaker, so she's inquisitive and curious and, um, uh, she's got that mind of trying to wanting to figure out things. And so she kind of goes to, to investigate it on her own, just not even to like for any legal reason, just to like for her own. She needs to know. She's she's a she's a truth seeker. She's a documentarian. Documentarians seek truth. So she's a truth seeker. So when there is a kernel of a fact or something in there, it strikes a chord and a nerve with this character. And so that is um, what you know. I'm not really speaking about the direction, but I am because that's what this director crafts together. The story that, that, that cracks open by something very truthful that triggers her, that is very geared towards her character, that is sounds feels completely organic to who this person is and who's presented beyond. It's just a documentary filmmaker because we, we feel all of it. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's also, I guess I'll warn people who haven't seen it. It can, it's discussed some parts that are incredibly disturbing. Um, uh, it uh, it made me cringe, and it was very uncomfortable and very disturbing at times. Um, but it's well made, and it's a uh, it's a I think for women, it's a, a really um, especially maybe some you know with Me Too and everything that's come around has really helped people. Women obviously obviously come to the reckoning and and and, and reevaluate uh, situations that have happened in the past. 
um, under a new lens. And, and I think anybody who's ever done that to realize like, oh yeah, like, you know, this thing that I've kind of brushed off. I mean, when you really think about it, that was sexual assault and, uh, anybody who's certainly, um, come within a hundred miles of even that idea on a personal level is going to be really uh, touched by this film. I look forward to checking that one out. That's also been on a list to see for a long time. And that one is on HBO as well, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I'd like to give a shout out to a couple movies. Uh, a movie I actually just got a chance to check out this morning called Night Comes On uh, by Jordana Spiro. And it's a uh, it, it, it's a it, it's a fairly in its approach is, is it like a fairly kitchen sink drama. It's about, it's about this girl who's released from juvie on her 18th birthday. And, and she, she uh, meets up with her 10 um, year old sister. Who's, who's in a foster care home and they are, are embark on this journey to, to go to their father's house. And, and I won't really reveal the mystery as to why they are doing that, but it, the, the movie it's very small scale, but it's really about like, choice and each choice that we're gone down a certain path that will down, completely down the wrong path and so um it's it's a pretty it's a it's not an easy watch but i i was thought there was a lot of strong decisions being made in the movie um similar to wildlife in this not like so similar but in the sense that like everything every directorial cho- choice made was very subtle and, and non showy. And, and uh, so there's some really good performances here. So I want to shout out that. Uh, but the big one I want to give a shout out to is um, one of my favorite movies of the year, blind spotting uh, by this director, Carlos Lopez Estrada. Uh, he's done some short films, but I believe it's his first movie. Um, and it was co-written by the, the actors of the movie, uh, Davi Diggs and Raphael Cassell. It's about a guy who is uh, on his last couple days of parole, being released out of prison. Uh, him and his uh, that played by Davi Diggs, him and his buddy Rafael Casal, um, who are lifelong buddies. They who co-wrote the movie together work for this moving company uh, in Oakland. And similarly to Sorry to Bother You, uh, which also takes place in Oakland, that dealing with this sort of. Uh, class structure uh the the gentrification of a city that has otherwise not been um so there's there's a sort of duality between what oakland used to be and what it's up and coming um and then the main sort of thrust of the movie is davi Diggs' character witnesses the the shooting of an unarmed black man by a police officer and so that the movie tackles that head on it tackles on uh friendships it tackles on sort of um because even though these these guys have grown up together like one of them is kind of toxic for the other person to be able to to move on and so it's just kind of examining like their place what this all means um and at the same time like that seems heavy but the movie is also hilarious at the same time the the sheer like shit talking banter between Rafael Cassell and Davi Diggs is amazing um so much of it it just it just lands and i think the movie comes on strong it says everything it needs to say and i think it does it in a way that's more tonally balanced than you know not to we we mentioned sorry to bother you and its boldness but i think this movie's a much more balanced approach um and i i i cannot recommend it enough and i feel like not enough people saw it and so that this is my sort of my plea to for people to check this movie out i got one more to to shout out if i can um susan johnson is a director who did to all the boys i've loved before and this 
isn't a film that is receiving any sort of Oscar love or anything like that, but it is perhaps of all the 20 movies that we're talking about tonight, the movie that probably the most humans have seen. Um, Netflix touted at the end of the summer uh, that this movie, along with two other ones, were viewed 80 million times um, by subscribers around the world. So it's it's a movie that was a bit of a cultural phenomenon, especially on social media. It has already been greenlit for a, a sequel. And Susan Johnson is a, a director who kind of came out of nowhere to direct this movie with no real recognizable stars that has become this massive hit for Netflix. And uh, yeah, so I, I think that's one that's worth mentioning. Right. Well, so that basically like wraps it up, I think, for, for us. You know, I, I, there's only three people on this podcast. So um, just so you know, this isn't necessarily just our views. We're expressing them. But, um, you know, there's been a few people who have weighed in on this list and not everybody can be here for this podcast. So two picks um, that we have on uh, on the top 20 list that are three film, the two films that the rest of us haven't uh, that Ryan and Charles and myself haven't seen are. Alonzo Ruiz Palacio, uh, Ruiz Palacio, I'm hoping I didn't butcher that, um, who directed Museo with um, Gael Garcia Bernal. And um, uh, what is the other one? It is uh, uh, The um, Kindergarten Teacher by, um, oops, we don't have her name written down. Sarah Coangelo. Thank you, Sarah Coangelo. And I know Jessica Kiang, who's our main festival writer, um, she uh, uh, went just gone gaga over um, uh, kindergarten teacher. She just ended up seeing it the other day. Um, she 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 she's I don't know. She's expressed it highly as, as being really great. I know she's a big fan of Mizale, Um and other people on um, our uh, our team have have voted for it and, and expressed um, some push on it. So we you know it's more of a collective thing. We've talked about the ones that, that we've known the best, but um, I think it's a, this top 20 that you'll see on the list is, uh, or on the site um, uh, before you see the podcast is uh, is a pretty good representative representation, which is what we're always trying to strive for, but what, you know, a general kind of consensus of what, how the writers of, of the site feel. And um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's about it. Um, I certainly just on Jess's recommendation, definitely want to see Museo, and um, the kindergarten teacher, which stars uh, um, Maggie uh, Gyllenhaal, and is on Netflix, and uh, is a remake of an Israeli film, and uh, sounds uh, pretty awesome. Well, if Jess vouches for it, then it goes way high up on my watch list for sure. Yeah, for uh, sure. So can't wait to check those out. But yeah, as a site, not just us three stand by all twenty of these picks. We highly recommend you uh, seek them out if you haven't already. I know we talked a lot about a lot of big titles here, big splashy ones, uh, and rightfully so uh, because these directors did break through in twenty eighteen. But even these smaller movies that you may not have heard of. Uh, Please, please seek them out. They are mostly readily available on most digital platforms. Um, but with that, I think that concludes our episodes. We've been at it for almost two hours. I think it's about time to wrap it up. Um, so, but before before I do the final plug, I want to say thank you guys for logging on tonight and doing this episode. Uh, I know it was a lot to get through, but um, but 2018 is a lot to get through, and I think we had a lot of exciting up-and-coming filmmakers to discuss um, and, and just a wealth of great movies. So I'm, I'm thank you guys for logging on and, and chatting. That was great. Thank you.
Thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you for being on. So before we sign off, uh, this episode is, of course, part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find us on theplaylist.net. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, You'll get this show. You'll get Adjust Your Tracking, Over Under Movies, whatever is your bag. We hope that we have it. We have you covered. Um, And send us a comment or rating if you would like, too. If there's something that you're like, hey, we'd like to see more of this or a little less of that, um, it's always good to know about that. So we would love to know. Um, And then final plug, uh, we have a ton of year-end coverage over at theplaylist.net. Uh, so be sure to check out those articles. Uh, our staff has been working very hard to to get these out, and uh, they've been fun to write. And you know, hopefully, they're just as fun to read. So please, please give them a look. And thank you for listening to this episode. And we'll catch you on the next episode. And if we don't do one uh, before 2018 is up, uh, we are we are hoping to, but no promises. Uh, but if we don't, uh, happy holidays, everybody, and and uh, and a happy new year. Thank you for listening to the Playlist Podcast. Toes and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the air And feathered canyons everywhere I've looked at clouds that way But now they only block the sun They rain and snow all